talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Ted and Diana are in the newsroom. Lisa and Ken on the street. Will is on the board. And it's the final election campaign weekend for the leaders. The BS meter is about to explode. Stand back. Here's Scott Thompson! Yeah! I think this requires more supervision. Parents, uh, good afternoon. It is 3.09. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson. Let me get that. And uh, feel free to jump into the fun, just like uh, Ted Michaels, uh, Lisa Pileski, and Diana Weeks all have. By the way, uh, Diana picking the song today, not only because she is an incredible Arkells fan, uh, but also she's a massive Ticat fan. That pretty much describes every Hamiltonian, I would say. <laughs> right? Absolutely. I'm going to the game tonight, so I'm stoked. Friday Night Lights, you know, here we come. Very cool. Yeah. It is going to be very cool. And, of course, with the quarterback situation yeah. in uh, Hamilton, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, yeah, not so fun. Cool. <laughs> I know, I know. I hear you. Uh, that being said, poll question of the day today, will the Leafs-Sabres outdoor game in Hamilton reinvigorate the discussion about the city's chance of landing an NHL franchise? Hell how no. Much, how much more no. jammed into one scenario? No. What do you, uh, you know what? Ted, I, knew- d- I think Ted's opinionated on something. Hold on. No. Uh, uh, I have known Ted for 100 years, yes. and uh, since coming back to CHML, yep. uh, we have had this discussion. How many times, Ted? I have not wavered from my stand. Hamilton will not get an NHL franchise. And I would come in like this little dog, you know, Teddy, Teddy, this is going to be great. They're going to get a team. You wait to see this. It's going to be great, Ted. Yeah. Simmer down there, little boy. We've yeah, been through yeah. this a few times, yes, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Uh-huh. Well, look at, you know, Diana's talking about the passion for the cats. I mean, yep. I think you're going to see the same sort of passion at this outdoor game, even though you have no vested interest because you're a Flyers fan. That's right. And <laughs> it'll be good for Hamilton, I well, think. I, I'm looking at the bright great. side here. What did I say the other day? I said, great event. It doesn't interest me because I'm not a Leafs or Sabres fan. But That's all I said. And right away, everybody, oh, Ted, you grumpy old man. No. But even if you're a hockey fan, isn't it? Isn't it that if you're a hockey fan, you would enjoy the outdoor game, the, you know, the winter classics, the atmosphere? No, like, I Ted, you know, yeah. I've had, the, I've had this uh, discussion with Radley before. It, for some people, and Ted is one of them. It's not about the event. It's not about the game. It is your commitment to your team. Yes. And that's what it's all mm, about. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. See, I get the same thing. I'm a NASCAR fan. Who's your favorite driver? I don't know. I like them all. I mean, they're all great. They're all my heroes. Oh, that doesn't, that doesn't cut it. What are you talking about? You got to pick a side. You got to pick a team. Kind of like in politics today, wouldn't yes. you think? Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, uh, Justin Trudeau on with Scott Radley today, yes. filling in for Bill Kelly. So very cool. We're going to play you uh, portions of that throughout the course of, uh, of the show and give you a little bit of an update there. As well, I should also say that uh, Lisa Pileski out on the street and doing some reporting in regard to uh, that horrific uh, home invasion uh, murder that we saw the other day, and will give us an update on that. Also, Alex got a pretty good uh, gig. Alex Pearson is uh, going to Montreal for election night. It's going to be at the Liberal headquarters. Wow. Come, 
exactly. Nice. Come come Monday. Where Ted's thinking, did she drive herself? Did she take a Winnebago? Does she have an expense account? What is going on here? <laughs> yes to uh, yes to all the questions. <laughs> that's right. It was the only way we used to get Ted to do the the tie cat games. We just saw the rider this guy had with him. Uh, anyway, it's going to be very exciting. So we pretty much have wall to wall coverage uh, come Monday, yes. and of course as we head into. Uh, this weekend, boy, it is going to be going uh, like gangbusters. You're going to see campaigning after campaigning after campaigning, so uh, it'll be pretty exciting. Uh, that being said, the uh, Leaf Sabres outdoor game is uh, the poll question of the day, and the, <laughs> I think we've already answered this. Will the Leaf Sabres outdoor game in Hamilton reinvigorate the discussion about the city's chances of landing an NHL franchise? Will the results, if you will, right now? Well, 15.5% of voters say yes, See? and 845 agree See? with Ted and say See? no. Thank oh, you. my goodness. Thank you. See, I think I'm going to split this down. I think there is, and this is the talk show host coming out of me, there, there are two different sides to this, this discussion and this question. Will it reinvigorate the discussion? Oh, absolutely. Look what it's done for us. Will it change the situation? Nee, no. I'm not so sure. I might be on Ted's side. Diana's a bit more positive on this, it looks like, though. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it'll invigorate the discussion about us here in Hamilton having an NHL team, but but I Hamilton, yeah, yeah, I think it's good for Hamilton. You know, there'll be uh, anything that brings a lot of tourism to Hamilton. I, I like, you then, know. So. Then, I, then I nominate you, Diana, to go and talk to Gary, as Scott calls him, Batman. <laughs> At the event, stick a mic in his face and say, what are Hamilton's chances of getting an NHL franchise? And watch him look like he ate a sour grape when he answers a question because he hates that question. Go ahead. I nominate you. Okay, I'm nominated. Guess See? I'm going. Is <laughs> All right. Jeff listening? Well, we He's going to assign me to the game here? Or what? We know your assignment, don't we? <laughs> Do you get a rider right. now? <laughs> yeah. Don't don't forget that uh, Ty Cats at six o'clock tonight, and of course uh, Diana's going to be there. Uh, also, mm-hmm. uh, Stan Peters and uh, Ted. Uh, his only message is whether you're coming in for either of these big events, just stay the heck off his lawn, please. Yep. I will Ooh, enjoy let's the park game on Ted's lawn tonight I- <laughs> for a fee. <laughs> for a fee. <laughs> I'll p- park right here. Move over. The Arkell safe for ten bucks. I can park on your lawn. So See, I but, mean, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, not in Ted's if, neighborhood. If Max Kerman says so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anyway, at Ted's place, you get some Polish sausage and a song, too. Oh, boy. And I will say uh, this. At my place, when I watch a game, the beer's cold, the coffee's warm, and there's no washroom lineups. Oh. See? All right. Uh, that's why he charges see, what he does for the front lawn. Look, look, what, the, look, see, look what's see, included. See? And the studio audience likes that as well. Terry Fox Run is taking place. The annual Terry Fox Run. When you think of Terry Fox, Ted, what, do you, what comes to mind? Bravery. Yeah. Absolute bravery. Like, and, and, you know, and we were so heartbroken when the race, uh, when the run across the country ended to September 1st up in Thunder Bay because, uh, you know, you were hoping that the outcome wouldn't be what you thought it was going to be, but uh, it was, uh, you know, it just drew more and more and more interest uh, when he was halfway across the country and what, a, what an incredible act that was. I have a couple of memories of uh, what Terry Fox was all about. One was, I think it was at the CNE, uh, at Canadian, Ex- uh, Canadian National Exhibition uh, the year after or thereabouts. There was this unbelievably uh, phenomenal memorial to Terry that you could walk through with with uh, almost like a museum uh, sort of setup. It was unbelievable. The other thing I remember when I moved out west to go to Calgary, to live in Calgary, driving along the Trans-Canada Highway there outside 
side of Thunder Bay is the statue of Terry Fox where he finished or as far as he got on his run. Yep. And my goodness, you, you know what Northern Ontario is like and how beautiful and picturesque it is. And to see that statue there is, uh, is just, uh, it's, it's riveting. It just sends chills up your spine. Yeah. And it was, uh, such a, such a, uh, a great event when it started. We kind of thought, okay, that's a long run because Canada's a big country. But boy, it just picked up uh, momentum and uh, interest all the way along. And uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but his legacy is uh, one of hope and courage, and that's why people are doing the Terry Fox run. It is amazing to see that after all this time that it still has the impact, that Terry Fox's name still has the impact uh, that it does. And doing it virtually this year, you've been involved in something like this. So doing a virtual run, it's pretty easy, right, Ted? I mean, you've been involved in something yeah, like this, have you, you not? Yeah, you basically just, you know, you, you sign up and you enter all your information and then you go and do the run. And then when you're finished, you download the information uh, and it comes up on the website, and it's there. So you can do it with a team. You can do it yourself. Uh, basically, you can pick the time. You know, um, if you yeah. can't, if you can't do it on Terry Fox Run Day, you can do it. You know, before I or after, like other uh, runs. So uh, virtually, it's hopefully it's not the way of the future because of what's yeah. going on. But it is different. But you can still do it. And what is nice is that people uh, do it for the first time, and you see that they're taking part and they're walking and running and just kind of everybody getting in the spirit of what the event's all about. And Fred Fox is joining us now, Terry Fox's older brother, on behalf of the Terry Fox Foundation. Fred, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, we're doing great. Thank you very much for allowing me to chat with you. Uh, Ted and I were just talking about the memories of Terry Fox. We were old enough to remember when all of this was happening and such and, and how the, the nation rallied around Terry. Uh, and I've talked to you before, Fred, about this, but you still must be amazed at how this run still uh, generates interest across the country. Yeah, you know, we are very, very uh, amazed and, you know, especially in, in what we've been all you know, challenged with the, the past year, year and a half with the pandemic. And, uh, but Terry Foxers across Canada, like they were in 1980, have been big supporters of what Terry wanted to do and what Terry started one in, in 1980. And today, you know, that continues not only on the Terry Fox run that's happening this weekend, but in, you know, 9,000 schools across the country as well. And uh, during the pandemic, how have you had to adapt this run? How has it changed for you? And and it, it, it obviously it seems the interest is still there, even even as we're going into the third wave of this pandemic. Yeah, you bet. And um, you know, last year the fortieth anniversary, we had to go virtual. This year, for the most part across Canada, I know in Ontario, pretty much uh, virtual again. And most communities, big cities, and you know, especially in southern Ontario, and and um but you know again terry foxers are resilient as terry was and uh, they've they've kept wanting to be involved um terry gave us all a challenge back in 1980 he said even if i don't finish we need others to continue it's got to keep going without me and so we've had to do it a little bit different with it being virtual we're asking people to go online um you know register whatever they plan on doing walk run cycle and you know, make a donation, maybe create their own fundraising page. But it's, it, and Terry Foxes are willing to do that. They they want to continue Terry's dream. Um, as Terry said, we'll all be touched by cancer in one way or another. And uh, people feel so close to the cause. I know you've been asked this a million times, Fred, but, you know, he's looking down. What do you think he's saying, especially when he was hoping that the journey would continue? 
Terry would be so proud. Um, you know, he didn't uh, f- physically finish what he had set out to do, but he he more and accomplished what he 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 wanted to to do, and that was to raise funds for cancer research and and more than anything, impact cancer research and impact lives and uh, p- make a difference in people's lives. And he would be so proud of. Uh, you know his sacrifice in 1980 and how it's turned out 40 41 years later he uh Terry was humanitarian he wanted to make a difference and um uh, you know that that he could be so proud in knowing that that's what he's done and it's amazing even this many years later you were saying you're celebrating the 40th last year i mean kids that that weren't even around and and see the school kids involved that must be just so rewarding knowing that the, that these kids are still learning the legacy yeah, you know, and and normally at this time of year, I'm I'm not home here in British Columbia. I'm maybe somewhere in Ontario or maybe on the prairies or in Newfoundland or something like that, visiting communities ahead of the, this weekend's run, and then visiting schools. And I'm not able to do that. So what we've been doing this past week is virtually visiting and presenting to schools, and it's been an amazing thing. And not only not only kids who weren't born 40 years ago, but now you know, as I've gotten older, I'm meeting parents and teachers who weren't yeah. born 40 yeah. 41 years ago who yeah. um you know have continued this for so long uh and it's an amazing cause it's an amazing story and fred kudos to you for you and the fox family for keeping this uh alive and the spirit alive uh fred fox has been with us terry fox's older brother uh joining us on behalf of the terry fox foundation terryfox.org to find out more about all of this and how you can can contribute with a virtual run that's terryfox.org fred thanks so much for the time be well good luck with it this year thanks very much Forget about his two cents. Scott has an entire vault filled with opinions. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. All right, voters are heading into Election Day more angry and apathetic about going to the polls than they were at the start of the campaign. A new poll suggests that uh, making the result more uncertain than ever before, the Ipsos poll uh, conducted for Global said two-thirds, about 69%, feel the election should not have been called in the midst of a global uh, COVID-19 pandemic. That is up 13 points from when the election was called, uh, which pollsters say uh, they have not seen before. Let's bring in Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos, and is with us now. Daryl, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Oh, I'm hanging in there, Scott. It's always great to talk to you. All right. Hanging in is a key word on so many fronts. Uh, we talked about this right at the beginning of the campaign. Many thought this would not be a factor uh, once the campaign got rolling. Nobody likes elections, but this is dragged and even so uh, more so increased. Are you surprised that the animosity and the anger has built? Yeah, I really am. I mean, particularly given the um, uh, the way that people have really taken on board the uh, the idea that this election hasn't wasn't necessary. So uh, normally what you say, and I think you, uh, you've captured it well, is, is uh, you know, political pundits and consultants and everybody else say, ah, don't worry about how the election is called. People forget about it by the time we get around to the end of things, and, uh, and it won't factor in the result. It's exactly the opposite this time. Uh, it really has defined the entire election campaign, and the fact that it's gone up rather than down through the course of the election campaign shows you how significant it remains as an issue. Uh, obviously, we haven't seen this sort of thing. At least I don't believe we have. So anyway, predicting what's going to happen. And I know I'm asking you to look into your crystal ball here, Daryl, which you can't do. But what does it suggest to you? Well, it, what we're seeing right now is an incredibly tight race in the, in the polling that we've done for Global News. You know, the two major parties tied 
uh, actually below the level that they were in the last election campaign, uh, with the NDP up about five points. But uh, really, the critical uh, uh, condition that we're seeing in all of this is the Liberals uh, had a lead of 10 points in Ontario in the last election. It's now down to four. In the GTA, uh, or actually in the 905, it's down to three. So it's anybody's it's anybody's game there. And it's all going to come down to marginal differences in turnout and how enthused people are about going out and voting. And at the moment, they're not really that enthused. So, I mean, it's it, tra- tracking how that's going to affect uh, what the final vote is going to be has been very difficult. Uh, obviously, we've heard of the issues that Alberta is having, uh, declaring a health state of emergency as a result of COVID-19 uh, cases clogging up their their health system. Uh, how does that factor into the federal campaign? Does that help the prime minister? Does that hurt the prime minister? Does that help O'Toole? Does that hurt uh, O'Toole? Well, I think a lot of it's baked in, Scott. I mean, I've been getting asked that question by people, you know, breathlessly all day long. Oh, my God, what's happening in Alberta? It's like, well, does anybody more now think that, you know, uh, um, that uh, they shouldn't be voting one way or another based on what's going on in the province of Alberta. They probably already thought that before. Not that it's not really significant what's going on in Alberta. And obviously our hearts go out to uh, the people in the province of Alberta, but um, it's probably already baked into the campaign itself. And so who do you blame for this? Do you blame um, uh, Justin Trudeau? Because you know, he's, he's been governing the country over the space of the last 18 months and six years, and he's allowed this to happen? Or do you blame Aaron O'Toole and say, you know, this is uh, 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 Jason Kenney endorsed him in the conservative leadership campaign. They're bosom buddies. One will govern like the other. other. He screwed uh, Jason Kenney's allegedly not done really well in the province of Alberta in the fight against COVID, and Aaron O'Toole will do exactly the same. So, does any of that convince anybody to do anything differently from what they were already thinking? My view is it's probably already just reinforcing opinions people already have. All right. The big question for this whole campaign is what's the issue? What's the reasoning? Obviously, uh, there was no reason to call this other than uh, the Liberals hoping for a majority uh, uh, government, of course. So what has been or what is now the election issue? Is it the election itself? Yeah, it really is. Um, it, but we've transcended the uh, the policy, we've tre- transcended logic, and we're now into the world of emotion. And that's what the, the election is really about. So on one side, it's about fear. It's about taking Canada um, uh, back from the progress that the yeah. Liberals claim has been made over the last six years. And it's about preventing people who are anti-gun, anti-abortion, uh, you know, anti-vaccine, you know, intolerant from getting back into office. So that's their position. So if you're a progressive voter and you want to stop the hordes from coming over the hill, that's what you need to do. Vote liberal. And for the conservatives, it's anger. Uh, And also to a certain extent for the NDP. So for the conservatives, it's anger. It's, look, we shouldn't be having this election campaign. The person who who triggered this is that person up there uh, who you're looking at on the ballot as the Liberal Party leader uh, who uh, you know is insincere, you can't be trusted, is more likely to you know, lie than any of the other leaders uh, in this election campaign, and he needs to be gone. And there's only one way we can, we can assure that, and that's to vote for the Conservative Party. And then you've got Jagmeet Singh on the other side. He's also playing a little bit of an anger card. And it's like, uh, you know what, Justin Trudeau lied to you. If you're a progressive voter, he said he was going to do all these things on behalf of progressive causes, and he hasn't delivered. That's why you need to vote for the NDP this time. You can't give him your vote. You should be angry. You should vote vote for me. And whoever ends up winning this election, 
If I'm in the NDP, I will have the balance of power and I'll make sure that it's delivered on. So now we're in that world. We're not in any policy area. We're in that world. Yeah. Uh, Daryl, everybody seems to be predicting a minority. Is there a chance that come Monday, uh, when people get into the voting booth, they think completely different than the poll questions that they have been asked, and we could see something completely different? Is it possible we could see a majority? Well, the reason we would see a majority is because not because people change their minds or that they think differently from what they said on the surveys. The reason there could be a majority is somebody's vote that is predicted to show up just doesn't show up. Hmm. So if conservatives who uh, are seen as being a little bit more likely to vote um, in uh, than liberals show up and then there's no energy in the liberal vote, you know, anything can happen. Same thing for the liberals. Um, if uh, we've underestimated the energy in their vote and uh, conservatives just, you know, aren't turned on by Aaron O'Toole, they're really upset by the course of the camp, what's happening in the campaign. And they all decide to go to the, the golf course or stay home and watch the game, um, then we could end up with a majority. But it's it's a very, very low probability, Scott. Hmm. Daryl Brooker with us, CEO of Ipsos Polling. Uh, Ipsos Poll today, finding that still at this point, more than two-thirds of voters, 69% are upset that the election has been called in a global pandemic, 13 points up from when it all started. Daryl, thanks so much for the time. Fascinating stuff. Be well. You too. Thanks, Scott. The truth and only the truth. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CSML. As we talked about uh, several days ago, uh, there was a, a series of allegations that really started on social media uh, in regard to uh, up to as many as 30 cases of women being drugged uh, and assaulted in some way uh, on the campus or near the campus of Western University. And uh, there had been four other charges laid in other unrelated incidents. But at this point, um, still, we're, we're trying to figure out what exactly is going on and what has happened here and why it is so hard to get uh, information uh, from any officials. Let's bring in Sawyer Bogdan, reporter with Global News Radio 980 CFPL in London and is with us now. Sawyer, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I understand you were up there at the walkout today at Western University. So do you talk about this? Yeah, thanks for having me. I was there. Um, it was an amazing turnout between uh, 8,000 to 9,000 um, students gathered, walked out of classes, gathered at UC Hill um, to stand up and uh, show, stand up against uh, sexual, uh, sexual and gender-based violence on campus. How is this received by uh, not only the student body, but those officials at Western? Well, I, I'd say the, the turnout of students alone um, would say that a lot of students of all races and, and genders really care um, about what's happening just based on the turnout and the diversity that you saw in the crowd. Um, in terms of support from um, the faculty, I know the president released a statement in support of it. Um, the Faculty Association of Western also released a statement uh, saying they support students and what they're doing today. So I don't really think there's anybody who um, was against what was happening. I think everybody acknowledged that it, it really, we, it was something that really um, needed to be done and a show of support for survivors of sexual assault um, needed to happen in a big way. 
Sawyer, uh, so you were talking about the university's position on this. What's the problem here? Is this a culture? Is this a lack of education, a lack of protocol? What's the reasoning for this? I say it's a mix of all of those things. Um, The president of Western University, Alan Shepard, he said, we have a culture problem. We acknowledge it. It's a larger issue than just the incidents that we've heard reported this year. It's been going on for a while. Um, But it's also, it's an education problem, but it's not necessarily a Western University education problem. Um, ANOVA, an organization based in London that helps uh, survivors of sexual assault get counseling and escape sexual violence, um, they really talked, and also the London Abuse Women's Center have been um, together in saying this week that it's an education issue, but it's not an education issue that you need to start having with people in university. This is something consent and everybody having the right um, to live free of violence uh, is something that needs to start um, being taught in elementary schools and high schools. And it's not a class that you can take once. Um, it's yeah, something that yeah. we need to keep reminding young people as as we go through the school system from the beginning, um, the importance of everybody feeling safe in their own community. Because if that's not a concept that you understand at 18, I think having one, having an individual class or having a couple of lessons on it, once you've already formed your own opinions on a topic, um, isn't enough. Very much. This is not just a Western issue. This is a societal issue. This is something that uh, that we all have to to work towards. Um, one question I have too, Sawyer, is that obviously there were the four charges laid that were in unrelated incidents. Uh, we're hearing of up to thirty allegations of of misconduct or drugging or or what have you, sexual misconduct. Um, do we know anything more about those translating into char- uh, charges or any more information uh, re- regarding that part of the story? Um, so it's actually for reports that police are looking into. They haven't charged anybody in any of the four um, other reports of sexual assault. And unfortunately, they also haven't provided an update as of yet as to the investigation that 30 or more students were allegedly posts online said that they might have been um, drugged and that some of them might have been sexually assaulted. We haven't heard any confirmed reports from police at that time. And I think something that's really being talked about um, by ANOVA and some other organizations is that we might not actually ever find out the exact number. And there might be survivors who had this happen to them the last weekend stories are spread online that don't want to come forward in a formal way and report their process because it can be really hard to speak about that. And they might not also feel uh, supported or that coming forward would make a difference for them. Um, So something that's really being advocated for right now um, by different women's groups and uh, counseling at the the university is that we'll hear for you, we'll provide you with support, and you don't necessarily have to file a formal story with police um, because it's your own story and it's up to you to share it when you feel comfortable. Sawyer Bogdan with this reporter with Global News Radio 980 CFPL in London. Uh, University, Western University, walk out this afternoon, Eight to 9,000 students. Uh, Sawyer Bogdan was there, obviously, in regard to the culture, uh, not only at Western, but uh, all across society we have to take a peek at. Sawyer, thanks for the time. Be well. Appreciate it. Thanks. Anytime. 
All right. Uh, earlier this week, we were uh, stunned to find uh, just an incredible, horrific crime, starting with a home invasion and then ending up uh, with one man dead. For an update on all of this, this is the home invasion kidnapping uh, that has left one dead uh, in the Mount Hope area. Lisa Pileski is with us, reporter with Global News Radio 900 CHML. Lisa, I hope you're doing well. Thanks for the time. Thanks for having me. Uh, what else do we know about this? Uh, what is the latest? Let's start with an update on uh, on the victims and health and such. Is there anything we know more about their conditions? Well, thankfully, I mean, this is a, at least a silver lining in a really grim, horrific story. Um, Fakir Ali and uh, his son, uh, his surviving son, are apparently in stable condition in hospital. They are expected to recover and survive. So that at least is some good news. But I mean, it's still a really tragic, disturbing story. Unfortunately, Ali's other son, um, Hasnain Ali, known as Nano by the family, he was killed when uh, the suspects burst into their Mount Hope home early yesterday morning. And um, yeah, so they, they basically shot at the two sons who were trying to help their father, who was abducted and taken from the home, found uh, six hours later in the Beach Boulevard area, suffering from serious, serious injuries. We now know that um, he, the Ali, Fakir Ali, the father, was not shot. Uh, Detective Sergeant Steve Berzuk said this morning mm-hmm. that he believed uh, they believe he was beaten um, severely uh, so that he, he is recovering in hospital, but investigators haven't been able to speak to him yet. So I imagine he's uh, not in any state to speak with detectives just yet. Obviously, this family was well known within their community and politics. Uh, any more uh, from that angle? Is there anything more we, we can find out about the victims here? Well, we still don't really know. I mean, because p- police haven't been able to speak to Ali and kind of get an understanding about his background and why he might have been targeted in this incident, um, they're, they're hoping he'll be able, he'll recover and wake up so he can actually shed some light and kind of explain, hey, what, you know, what, what might these people have wanted with you? Um, we did know about uh, there was uh, a Mississauga law firm apparently reported that Ali owed almost $12,000 in damages and legal costs from an unpaid loan agreement. Um, He was ordered by a small claims court in 2018 to pay, but he didn't end up paying. But, you know, that seems like a small sum to to do something like this over. And uh, Detective Barazook says that, you know, that they are looking at financial components, but there's, you know, it's, it's not certain that that's actually a factor in the motive behind this whole incident. And police still looking for video. Anybody that can help out with that? Yes, yeah. So they're looking for any video, surveillance video in the Beach Boulevard area. They have uh, seized two black SUVs, um, and they're basically looking for any surveillance footage that has that SUV, uh, one of those SUVs, which was last seen going towards... Um, uh, the Niagara bound kind of towards Nikola Tesla uh, as uh, on Thursday morning. So, so if anyone in that area has any surveillance footage, if they have anything, if they're look, you know, you can look at your security cameras for anything suspicious because police are really trying to track down these suspects and hold, uh, hold those people accountable. All right. And uh, if there is good news in any of this, the two victims are in stable condition. Uh, Lisa Pileski with us, reporter for Global News uh, Radio 900 CHML, on the case of the kidnapping home invasion, uh, which has left one person dead in Mount Hope. Lisa, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Good luck. Thanks very much. 
Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Andre Perella, professor of political science, Wilfrid Laurier in, uh, University. Obviously, uh, delays at the polls are warning about that. Some voter empathy, anger. Uh, it's going to be an interesting weekend as we head to the polls coming up on Monday, September 20th. Thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Yes, very well. Hope you're doing well as, as well. So your thoughts on being neck and neck with just the weekend to go here? Yeah, it is tight. It's been tight nationally, although the regional situation seems to be showing some gaps. Uh, Provinces west of Ontario, the Conservatives seem to be leading, and provinces of Ontario eastward, the the Liberals are leading. So that's looking pretty good for the Liberals because Ontario and Quebec have a lot of seats, a lot of voters. um, So it's looking more in the direction that Justin Trudeau would like to see. Uh, Do you still anticipate a minority? That's what we're seeing in the polls. Could we see a surprise come Monday? Well, elections are are funny in that way, because regardless of what the polls are saying, uh, there's always a result that surprises people. The problem with polling now is more and more people are refusing or not participating in polls. So we're not really catching a full, accurate sense of what's going on out there. But if the polls are any indication, then we are most likely headed to a minority government of one kind or another. Uh, Why are we seeing such a close race between the Conservatives and the Liberals if two-thirds, Ipsos reporting today, uh, two-thirds, almost 70% of Canadians still at this point, even this late in the campaign, are very upset about an election? If that's the case, why are they so close? Well, this is a situation where voters are faced with making a choice of two evils, between two, the lesser of two evils. Hmm. Um, it, it's, it's, it puts them in a, in a bit of a bind. Now, Trudeau has had a bit of a rough run as prime minister. He's gotten himself into a good number of scandals. That's why he got a minority government in 2019. And I'm not sure if uh, the electorate is fully on board with what the Conservative Party is about. Uh, there's still a little bit of apprehension there. So given all that, uh, what's a voter to do? And this is what we're seeing in the polls. Uh, the Prime Minister taking aim at the uh, the issues that Alberta's having, obviously a health state of emergency declared there, and pointing to see this is what you get with a Conservative government. What about the Kenny factor in this election? Well, the Kenny factor was is replacing what used to be the Ford factor. Yeah. And if you recall back a couple of years ago, uh, Doug Ford was a liability to uh, Andrew Scheer, and that's why I think the Conservative Party told Doug Ford, you know, stay low in this election. And uh, now we're seeing uh, um, Jason Kenney providing a bit of, of, of an anchor or providing a bit of a weight around the neck of, of the Conservative Party. So, yeah, it's not looking very good, especially when one of the top issues is pandemic management. And if uh, more and more voters associate the Conservative Party of Canada with the Alberta UCP handling of the pandemic, it's certainly going to make a lot of voters uncomfortable. Many were wondering what the election issue would turn out to be at the beginning of the campaign. It was about abortion and gun control and things we've been hearing for decades. And it, it turns out at this point, again, when we're seeing still uh, high numbers of people not uh, not happy with an election being called during a global pandemic, is the biggest issue of this election the election itself? Well, it's certainly an issue, but uh, I don't recall any election when the majority of people saying, whoopee, we're having an election. Uh, no, but the, the one thing on that, though, Andre, and that's what Ipsos was saying, usually that dies after the first couple of days. Nobody wants an election, but to have this sort of animosity at this stage of the game, they've never seen before. 
I, I wonder about that, and, I, and I, I'm not doubting Ipsos' number. I, I use their yep. surveys all the time, but I'm wondering what it represents. Does it represent a specific um, aversion to this election, or is it part of the general malaise and, and growing level of, of distrust towards, towards politicians? And calling an election is just giving people a, a reason, or, or it's triggering all those feelings of skepticism and cynicism towards political authority. So I'm wondering if there's more to it than just calling an election early. Uh, can we predict Monday? Uh, will we see a surprise or will we see a minority either way? Um, well, as I said, I, I'm, I'm expecting a minority one way or the other. Uh, I think it all boils down to turnout. Which party is going to be able to turn out its voters? Um, you know, the polls say one thing, but polls don't count if people don't walk to polling stations. Uh, so we'll have to see what happens and, and how the party's ground game actually brings out voters to the ballot box. Andre Perella with us, professor of political science department at Wilfrid Laurier University, talking about the dying days of this election campaign. Don't forget to get out and vote on Monday. Andre, thanks for the time. Be well. You too. In the six years, what we've done is created a million jobs while at the same time uh, lifting a million people out of poverty. Uh, we have moved forward on the fight against climate change in real ways. So we're going to hit uh, the targets we've set, and we need to go even faster, and we will with what the experts are saying, um, with the strongest plan. Uh, we have continued to be there to support people to move forward on reconciliation. And doing those big things and making those big changes in this country is what uh, we're making a choice to continue on. And that's why I want uh, anyone who's thinking about voting NDP or Green Take a look at the issue that matters most to them, whether it be climate uh, or child care, and look at our platform, look at what the top experts are saying, and they'll see that we're the choice not just to stop the conservatives, but to deliver the best, most progressive government this country has ever seen. That is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, along with Scott Radley, asking him what he is doing to unify the country. You heard the answer there, Scott filling in for Bill Kelly earlier on this morning. And obviously, come Monday, it is Election Day, and uh, Global News getting ready for this, and uh, Alex Pearson, a part of, of Decision Canada. Uh, she is a, uh, the host of On Point with Alex Pearson, heard weeknights in Toronto, London, and right here on CHML, and... Is going to be in Montreal, I believe, on election night at the Liberal headquarters. Alex, how you doing? No, I'm actually going to be at uh, Aaron O'Toole's. They've had a last minute change because of COVID situations. So what? I will be in. Dur- I know. Trust me, I know. I was all excited. I was like, "Wow, this will be fun." Uh, I'm actually going to be in Durham. Um, I'll be heading off the O'Toole campaign. And uh, I'll be having to put makeup and doing hair for the first time in a very long time. It'll be so tell us about this yeah. assignment. What do you have to do? What is your objective? What, do you, what, what is your job for the night? Well, really to give the color. I mean, we've got the reporters on the ground and, you know, David Aiken and Mercedes Stevenson. They'll be able to kind of do all the polling and all the technical stuff. You'll get the reporters on the ground talking about issues. And, and people like me get to do things like, call the baloney, um, you know, and add opinion or where we think we saw things and didn't see things. Because um, honestly, like, I love covering elections, Scott. They're really yeah. fun. And I love political stuff. But I, I hate every second of this election. Yeah. I hate every second of this election because it has been so polarizing, exhausting. 
And I just, I don't, like most Canadians, don't get why it's happening. Well, and Canadians so, Canadians are feeling the exact same way. Yeah. We had Daryl Berker on earlier, and like two-thirds of Canadians are ticked right off at this election. And that was something that was su- supposed to subside after the election mm-hmm. campaign was called, but it didn't this time. It's really resonating. Do you think that uh, the Alberta factor, the Kenny factor, is going to uh, have an influence here either way, with Trudeau or no. with O'Toole? No, and sh- nor should it. I-, I find it confounding that Aaron O'Toole is getting blamed for something that he didn't run. He wasn't the premier. He wasn't the prime minister. That was Justin Trudeau who was the prime minister during the pandemic. And like, but you've been you've been you've been obviously in uh, on those uh, in those press circles and such. Yep. And he was hammered, hammered, sure. hammered yesterday for you know you said O'Toole or you said that Kenny was this and that in uh, Trudeau's that or like you know is one better than the other? Did one handle the the pandemic better than the other? And they just kept coming back to him right. on that question. Of course, he's not going to answer it. But what should he have said? Do you think? Well, what, what, if I were writing the talking point, I would have said, yes, back in the summer, things were looking up just the same as Justin Trudeau, who in the very same week said that Alberta had done an excellent job and sat down with Jason Kenney, praising him about the pandemic response and also wishing people fun at the stampede. Because if you go to, and you can Google this, in the very same week, there's the prime minister sitting down with uh, Jason Kenney and they're all praising each other. So there's a lot of political games being played, and I get it. But I think for O'Toole, who's trying to kind of really do this balancing act, which we've seen during this election, which has been very, very difficult, um, you know, he, he instead of just getting to the point and, and kind of aiming it back and pivoting it back to Trudeau, which I think he should have and could have, uh, he didn't. And so they keep asking. I, I wish they'd be this tough on Trudeau. It's incredible. Like, you know, now the press is only allowed to ask him one question. And then, of course, we never get answers, Scott. It's beyond frustrating that we are in an election that's costing us over half a billion dollars. The media is paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to cover this election. People across this country are exhausted. And is it asking too much to get a bloody straight answer from any of these guys? Any of them. What do you think the issue has turned out to be in this election? Because I remember the first week we're talking about abortion issues that were, you know, we chatted about in the 70s and all this other stuff. Uh, gun control, I think, was another big issue. And we're thinking, well, like, where was all this before the pandemic? None of this was even being talked about. And now all of a sudden, I think housing has kind of raised itself as an issue. But it seems the big issue in this election is whether we should have an election. It's the election itself. Well, well, and that speaks to the very reason of why we shouldn't be in an election. The whole reason we are in an election is because the prime minister's internal polling told him that if he were to hold an election today, he'd get a majority. And he has not been able to justify that or why we're going. It suddenly turned into vaccine mandates, which if he was so concerned about it, Scott, as a federal leader, he could have very well put in a federal framework months ago but again it was weaponized and it was turned into something for the election and and again abortion and guns and all this crap i think canadians have been disrespected i think they have been shortchanged because there are major issues affordability is a massive issue inflation went up to the highest we've seen in two since 2003 did you hear anything about that oh god no because that's not a bother i mean there are serious issues impacting this country. China, the threat of China. China. So why? So why is? Week. You never heard anything about it. It's, so why? 
so then why are the polling why are the polls so close why is this such a neck and neck race and just like we said the over two-thirds of canadians don't even want this so why is he not being punished for that why is this race so close if everyone feels the way they do i don't know if i buy all the campaigns um i just don't know if i buy them all um you know they said hillary clinton was 15 points ahead and i always said in the trump election he would win not because i liked him i just that's the gut feeling i had i think Bottom line, they're in a lot more trouble than they are admitting. I mean, they just lost another candidate in Toronto downtown, which is a liberal safe seat that Adam Vaughn held because a candidate had an allegation of sex assault against him that had been withdrawn. I mean, how they didn't know that is beyond me. That tells me there's something more to the story about Adam Vaughn leaving so suddenly because they clearly didn't vet this cabinet or or candidate. They've got a candidate in Kitchener who also had sexual harassment allegations on you know, I'm not sure the the polling is telling the whole story, and I certainly don't think it's telling it outside of the Toronto area. Because you go outside of Toronto, people are furious. They are yeah, angry. Yeah, They're yeah. sick of being talked down to. They're sick of being ignored. They're sick of not having a voice. And I mean, they're just t- like it's t- you've had six years, buddy, six years to do all the things you're promising, like the daycare. Six years, you haven't done it. And it's not going to be done for another six years, even if you get another mandate. But I think Monday is going to be a long night. But I have a feeling, I have a feeling O'Toole could squeak this one out. I think that I'm hearing on the ground in Ottawa that people on the Liberals are much more uh, frenzied than they're letting on. And that's just from a couple of sources I've got uh, in Ottawa. It is going to be a fascinating night, Monday yeah. night, election night, and be sure you're watching uh, Alex and, of course, the rest of the Global News crew for Decision Canada. And Alex, of course, will be following the O'Toole camp. Alex, thanks so much for the yeah. time. Be well and have fun. Enjoy. Hey, whatever happens on uh, Monday, we will have lots to talk about, and that's the good thing. Election Day in Canada coming up on Monday this last weekend should be interesting uh, now that uh, it is virtually, well, has been virtually a neck and neck race. Uh, an interesting chat with Ipso saying that still, even at this point in the election campaign, uh, over two thirds, almost 70 percent still uh, at this point uh, are very upset about having an election and do not know why one was called. Let's bring in Michael Tobe, Troy Media Syndicated columnist, contributor to The Washington Times and former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. He is with us now thanks for the time michael i hope you're doing well i am indeed scott hope you are too so your thoughts as we head into this uh last weekend of the election campaign obviously alberta in a tough situation with their state of health emergency uh and obviously uh, the prime minister seems to be attacking kenny and saying see this is what you get how much of the kenny factor of alberta or all of that will be a factor in the election do you think I don't know. Um, part of the problem is Alberta has been a little bit of an issue since the very beginning, or at least for the past few weeks. And I've alluded to that in the National Post and things that I've been writing there, and others have also been discussing it too. And that's more related to the fact that Jason Kenney's poll numbers have obviously dropped considerably during COVID-19. And now based on what's just recently happened, which is what you're alluding to, where basically they've declared a state of emergency Alberta, and obviously everything that they tried to do being open during the summer, you know, low COVID restrictions or none at all in certain areas and basically opening back up the Alberta economy and society is obviously backtracking and they had to backtrack pretty badly. It doesn't necessarily affect Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives as much as you'd think. Yes, they are obviously both of the same political ideology, 
it naturally, Aaron O'Toole's success and Jason Kenney's success in Alberta are tied to one another. But I, again, I, I, I made this point, and others have too. It, as long as Aaron O'Toole, which he tried to do a little bit more today than he did yesterday, gently sort of tried to explain the similarities and differences between his federal conservative party and, and Jason Kenney's Alberta conservative party, that will actually succeed overall and at least differentiating the minds of people. If there are opponents of both men, well, they're still going to dislike them no matter what. If there are people who support both men, they're both going to be perfectly fine with it. But I think that basically, in this case, Aaron O'Toole has to get out of the gates very, very fast. And he didn't do it as much yesterday. He tried to avoid the question, which, although understandable from a human aspect, you've got to address it to some degree. I find that a little bit today, when he's, been, when he's chatted about it, although it hasn't been as extensive as yesterday, he seems to have answered it a bit better. So uh, is that it then? Because the the new the news press was just hammering him about this yesterday. Why are you answering the question? Why are you answering the question? Yeah, but this is not a two, three, four day news cycle story. This yeah. is, this is a two, three, four news day cycle story for Alberta. It really isn't for the federal scene. Much the same way if that there was an issue right now going on with Ontario Premier Doug Ford, which there isn't, it wouldn't go on and on and on forever around the rest of the country but it would obviously resonate in Ontario. So I think we're on to other things, but obviously it's something that it's an issue that naturally Aaron O'Toole has to discuss. He may be bothered about it a few more times before this campaign ends on Monday, but I think if nothing else, he seems to have all his ducks in 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 a row and he seems to be handling it a little bit better now than he did yesterday. Many people at the beginning of this wondered what the heck the issue was in this election. We were talking about gun control and and abortion and all these things we've been talking about for decades, it seems. What yep. is the issue of this election? It is is it the election itself? It pretty much. There hasn't been an ele- there hasn't been an issue that has really stood out. Like you said, I mean obviously the issue of guns stood out for a couple of days. Um, we've had discussions about COVID-19 and uh, so let me ask you the, mandatory let me, vaccination. Sorry, go ahead. Let me ask you this, Michael. So if this election, and Ipsos just said this, I mean, so many people don't want it, and people are upset about this. And, and you, mm-hmm. all you have to do is talk to friends or for anecdotal information. If that's mm-hmm. the case and people are so upset about this, why is this still still such a close race? I think there's a lot of things at play, and I don't know how much time we have, but there there are a lot of things overall. I mean, one obvious aspect is whenever you are the government in power, even if there are people who dislike you thoroughly, there are always going to be those that champion your cause. So the liberals obviously have a percentage in their camp. There's always going to be a percentage in the conservative camp, the NDP camp. So those numbers already exist. I think, unfortunately, what has happened here in this election is there are a lot of undecided voters still in this still going on and still around us, even though a lot of people and a lot of Canadians have parked their votes already and probably did early on within certainly a week, maybe two weeks of the election having gone on. I think that unfortunately a lot of people just cannot decide or bring themselves to decide whether they want to boot out Justin Trudeau and the Liberals and bring in something new, which would be Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives. And then you have some Canadians who are having buyer's remorse with Trudeau, but they can't basically give up, so to speak, and they're still thinking that maybe they should stick with the government that they have in power. And then there are others who are sort of saying that Aaron O'Toole doesn't necessarily represent my point of view as a conservative, for example, 
so why do I need him? I'm going to go running off and vote for Maxime Bernier and the People's Party of Canada. You have a lot of things that are going on, but basically the core problem is there is soft liberal and soft conservative support. They're sitting on the fence. They can't quite decide which way they want to go, and the polls reflect that because virtually every poll from a major polling firm is now a margin of error, which is two to three points. And for it that is, reason, it means that a lot of people still don't know exactly what they're going to do on Election Day on September 20th. It is going to be an interesting weekend and an even more interesting Monday night. Michael Tobe has been with us, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to The Washington Times and former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Uh, Michael, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. Take care. If you're all about drama and gossip, well, this isn't for you. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Time for news break uh, with Diana Weeks. This is where we take a break from the news and talk about something nutty, perhaps, as opposed to pandemics, elections, and what have you. Thank you very much, Yes, Nice joke, Dad. Uh <laughs> Uh, squirrels. Diana loves them. I do. I had no idea you had a love affair with squirrels, these little rodents that uh, won't get me started. And, and you're going to tell us about the Scottish Squirrel Survey. Yeah. So this story caught my eye because, as you mentioned, Eric Scott, I am a squirrel lover. And why? Uh, why? why? Let, let's start there. Well, <laughs> why? Are you, what, what's with the love affair with squirrels? I don't know. I, I mean, just, they're cute and everything, but they are cute. Um, and I, I just enjoy watching them. They're very opportunistic, just the way they, uh, you know, hoard away their food, and they're a lot smarter than we think. And we'll get into just something in a little bit on this topic as well about how squirrels, and this is something Will said, were actually like prized house pets back in like the Victorian period. So that's kind of cool too. But uh, anyways. <laughs> This story. On that note, have you ever had a squirrel in your house? No, like Christmas vacation see, style. Well, like, well, not quite that bad. But see, that's probably why I have a different feeling on all oh. of this than than you do. But go ahead with the survey. Why is Scotland having a squirrel survey? Okay, so a Scottish conservation charity is calling on residents to act as volunteer squirrel spotters, and this is for its annual Great Scottish Squirrel Survey. The charity group is going to be saving Scotland's red squirrels and it will be marking National Red Squirrel Week next week by attempting to take a census of the country's squirrel population. So wait a sec, is there like a shortage of squirrels in Scotland? No, but apparently they are dedicated to, quote, protecting Scotland's red squirrels from invasive grey squirrels. So if Ah. a red squirrel runs into the forest and a red squirrel comes out, what do they do? Count it as two? How do they know it's not the same one? I I don't know. No, that's Martin. That's not Harvey. (laughs) Right. But I I don't know. But apparently they take it very seriously here. It says with the spring uh, data that they're using, they're going to be partnering with the Scottish Wildlife Trust in this. Um, You know, it's it's pretty intense, it sounds like. You know, I I have a cottage and uh, and and uh, they live inside it, really. Uh, So, you know, my dad started this years ago. He'd bring peanuts up and he'd feed the squirrels, you know, like like you talk about the pets they'd eat them right off your knee they'd read them out eat them right out of your fingers this sort of stuff and then we close the cottage down for the fall and we come back in the spring and all the same peanuts that we fed all the squirrels are now in our drawers <laughs> yeah i so, guess that'll do so it so at that 
you know, what do you do? Buy a cat? That does help, surprisingly enough. Yeah. But have you ever had one in a house? Ted, have you ever had one in a house? You haven't had the pleasure, no. I have. And do you want to share with the class? Like, yeah. was it running rampant? Or Yeah, it got into my grandmother's house. <laughs> it's been there for three and a half years. Just to lead into, dom- into domesticated squirrels, yes. No, we had to, uh, it, it got into my grandmother's house. She phoned us up. It was like, I'm not dealing with it. You guys do this. So we had to come over, and we had to, like, design an obstacle course out of furniture and, like, cardboard boxes to kind of direct the thing out of the room it had uh, nestled up in out into the front door. And so we're all lined up around the track like it's a racetrack, throwing little nuts and things to, to lure this squirrel out. It took about half an hour, but we got the thing out the door. Did you get any video on that? Because that probably would be worth watching right about there. I might get a lot of YouTube uh, viewers out of that one. Sadly, this was the t- this was the days before we all had uh, cameras carrying us around. I should have brought out like the old uh, camcorder or something. We could have been on Bob Saget's show, but no. <laughs> we had a situation here where um, uh, a squirrel got into the attic through an opening they, they literally pulled the siding away in order to get in because the guy goes up and he takes a picture like look at this so there's you know my daughter's in a room Dad, something's going on. There's something... and sure enough there was uh it didn't make it into the house but they put a trap up you had to call one of those you know wildlife guys and they put a trap on it so the squirrel eventually comes out when it gets hungry and then it's a it's a one-way door so they get out but they can't get back in so the odd thing we did all that and of course within a day the squirrel's gone and uh you know they they you know take the stuff off and put the hole in and fix the hole back up but my neighbor starts complaining that they've got now a squirrel in their attic and she was saying it was my squirrel as if like it's the only squirrel in the neighborhood and meanwhile she's out there feeding them this is why we like this is why we need the scottish wildlife trust exactly you need to do a survey so you can prove that that's not your squirrel scott all you have to do is sit on my front step. I mean, you, you know, you're going to need uh, you're going to need a calculator. There's so many squirrels running around here. You know, I mean, honestly, same thing with rabbits. Are you guys seeing rabbits all over your neighborhoods yes, too? Yes, we have no. one that comes uh, every every night. Uh, there's two of them. They come every night into our yard. Nobody goes on my lawn, Scott. <laughs> Animals for kids. You guys are starting to see a trend here. There's certain questions we ask and we just hear, no. <laughs> so, 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 you know, now that it's 25 bucks to park on the lawn and we've decided that it comes with a sausage on a bun, maybe there's some wildlife I didn't say 25. Well. I said 20. Okay. They're going for twenty five now. It's not twenty. It's twenty five. Where by you're, the, you're getting uh, by by yeah, the stadium. Close yeah. to the stadium. See, it's inflation. Yeah. They, they they didn't do it last year, so you've got to do it. Uh, you know, you got to supplement your income, and the cost of living goes up, and uh, mm-hmm. that's fine. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm thinking, Diana, since you love the squirrels and you got the two cats, why not introduce a squirrel into the household? Uh, wow. Hubby might love that. I do have the two cats. I know yeah. Ted would. I mean, I, I, you Ted know. would love to see a squirrel introduced <laughs> to the cats, wouldn't you, Ted? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I would. I would. You know, I follow, this is going to make me sound kooky a little bit, but I do follow some Instagram accounts where people actually have <laughs> pet squirrels and they, and, and it's, the, you know, the squirrels are thriving and it's fine and it goes to a vet and, uh, you know, but I get, no, 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 no. That's where you draw the line. Yeah, it goes you to your pay. You're paying money to service a wild rodent. Why don't you just go to the parking lot at McDonald's and make friends with seagulls? Like, oh, come on. That's just bizarre. But, All right. That's yeah. that's where we're drawing the line, Diana, right there. And, yeah, if we do keep going, people may start thinking that, you know. Okay, but All let right. me read. Oh, sorry. All right. No, you go I'll, ahead. I'll go read ahead. one thing. So what? this is what, what Will sent me. It says, 
By the 1700s, there was a golden era of squirrel ownership in full swing. Squirrels were sold in markets and found in the homes of wealthy urban families. Um, Some squirrels even had a gold chain leash. If I may... The reason this fell out of practice was because squirrels make terrible pets. It just took them a while to figure that out. All right. All right. That is a wrap for the show. Thanks for listening. As always, greatly appreciated. Thanks to uh, Ted, Diana, Lisa, and Will for producing today. Uh, coming up next, the Thai Cats and Stampeders pregame. Don't forget about the fifth quarter coming up after all of the game, and that is with Rick Zamprin, of course. As always, on Hamilton Today, we leave it to you, the good listener, for the last word, and here is Sean's. It's going to be a minority government, and we're going to be in the same situation again. You know, if I was the opposition in that, I would form a coalition government and toss them out the door and start over from scratch. There you go. 99.